0: hey everyone justin here with whitetail theories podcast on the mic today we have james simons i said that right right james yep simons all right cool so we have james simons with unplugged waterfowl um he's also a member of servicide what's going on brother
1: Oh, not much. Living the dream. Trying to make it till September 1st so we can start shooting some geese.
0: Nice, nice. Dude, it's right around the corner, man. I've been seeing posts, you know, this month. Our featured partner is a waterfowl company, which, don't quote me on this, but I'm pretty sure that may be a first for service side. We've always been kind of, you know, revolve around big game and bow hunting, which with that is a still a huge part of it. Um, but as we've gotten more members and as we have grown, we wanted to branch out into other forms of hunting, so you get to be a part of this. Um, so wrapped around waterfowl, so it's really good to get you on. Um, you know, if you guys don't know James or you haven't seen James on the socials, the guys always working, working all the time. Even when he's not working, he's working. Um, but if you do see posts from him, you will see what I have seen the last few years, which is James is always on the birds. Um, you know, he has a very high success rate of. Um, getting birds, getting people on the birds, you know, working birds well, um, and everything waterfowl-oriented. Um, also, you know, even throwing birds such as turkey in the mix. Um, so, James, tell the listeners here a little bit about yourself and uh, a little bit about Unplugged Waterfowl.
1: All right, so I'm, I'm James Simons, obviously. Um, I'm an Army veteran. Um, I own Unplugged Waterfowl. Just started that up officially this year. I'm a licensed New York guide and predominantly do field field goose hunts, but I'm dabbling a little bit into uh, diver ducks this season as well, Um, running traffic on honkers, chasing feeds, grew up a deer hunter, but uh, waterfall has my heart.
0: Nice. Nice, man. So, are you I, I know you said you're doing this full-time now. How long did it take before you were kind of able to take that
1: plunge there? So, it's it's still like well, I guess it's semi full-time. I mean, it's it's still part-time, but I work at it full-time. I don't so I don't guide full-time, but I'm full-time in the business. So, even when I'm not guiding, I'm straight up involved in the business, uh, you know, whether it's booking hunts, getting new gear, getting more gear. I'm fully involved 20 pretty much 24/7, you know. Like Justin said, even when I'm not working, I'm working because I get home at the end of the day, I got to reply to messages, emails, get content going, see what dates I have available, you know, I'm getting books done, ordering more decoys, new blinds sorting through stuff getting rid of the old and getting the new it's never ending man it's never ending. Oh, it's a constant grind are
0: you looking and it's a super personal question but um are you looking to possibly venture out eventually like where you're like you know that's what you're doing for a living or do you enjoy kind of the balance you have now of, of that life and and you know your other you know other uh job
1: um it's definitely something that in the hopefully in the near future it's within uh within the five-year goal is to be 100% full-time with it. Um, And hopefully in a couple different states as well, just to be able to do it even more full-time because, you know, we always have that summer off-season, so I'm looking into, venturing into the fishing aspect of it, which, you know, I I was a fishing guide before I even started doing the hunting guiding stuff and got out of that but that's something, you know, I'm trying to figure out as far as being able to do it during the summertime. So there is no constant off season, you know, so it's just constant on. So, you know, I have to deal with the off season in June, July and August. Right, right. Yeah. So it's three months. So I can do it, do fishing then and then get straight into September honkers and then go pretty much from September to January on ducks and honkers, whether it's ducks and geese, lights and darks. And then maybe take March and April off and then straight into Turkey.
0: Nice. That's a, that's a full schedule, man. And you know, I mean, the the way you do things, I definitely see that happening probably sooner than later. Um, you know, I've been following you for years and, and see how, I see how well you do, you know, with putting birds down. So um, you know, that, that definitely helps a lot to get you where you need to be. And then also having a good work ethic of, you know, even though you're, worked all day you're still ready to come home and do what you need to do to give your clients the best uh best hunting experience they can have um we're actually coming up there for those that don't know me um and gosh what is it like eight other people decided to get together um and we're actually going to go up there this year or i'm sorry in march to go after some snows we're super excited about that me Vinny, and grant and a couple of us been talking
1: a lot about it and i'm super excited to do that that's something we've never done yeah, no, I'm looking forward to you guys coming up. You, you know, guys definitely pick some really good dates to be up there. You know, hopefully it's not like last year. Last year was a little bit screwy with the the constant hot and then cold weather. Snows did some funky stuff. I mean, we still put some put quite a few down. But um, you know, at the end of the day, they're birds. They're gonna do what they wanna to do, to they're oh, wild animals.
0: It's, it's hunting, bro. It's it's hunting. I, I tell people anytime I host a hunt link, I'm like, hey, and I tell them too when I go do one, I'm like, hey, man, it's hunting. As long as you give me a hundred percent, you know, whatever we're doing, that's really all you can ask for.
1: Yeah, no, that's that's my thing too, is you know, I guarantee smiles. i you know, I'll never guarantee birds. You know, you see a lot <laughs> of out there that, like that you know, say a hundred percent guarantee on shooting or the hunt's free and it's just you know, that's something that I I'll never guarantee because you know, it just I don't know how you can do a business on that where you're guaranteeing people to shoot. Because, you know, everyone has bad days. Bird birds switch feeds. You can't always run traffic, you know. They may yeah. not cooperate. So, you know, you you know, you just gotta be able to tell your clients, you know, to, hey, today was a bad day. You know, hopefully tomorrow's better. You yeah. just you gotta be able to show them that you worked your ass off. You know, personally me, I'm up at in the morning, you know, as you know, like I provide coffee, lunch, all that stuff to my guys when we're out in the field, but I'm up at 2.30 in the morning, getting stuff ready. I'm there before them. I treat my landowners really well. I treat my clients really well. And then after the clients go home and they want to relax for the evening, I'm out scouting, you know, so it's, it's a constant grind and I don't have, I don't have other guides that work for me. I have guides that help me out, but I, I don't have any hired guides for me. So a lot of this is hundred percent me. So I'm putting in constant effort for people to ensure that my clients are having a good time, that hunts are going to be good as well.
0: Well, I mean, that's, that's really all you can ask for, man. And the people
1: that get it, they get
0: it. So, I mean, as long as that's what you're doing, you know, that's, that's legit, man. And um, you know, huge reason why we, uh, you know, we talk a lot like we do. Um, so, that kind of brings us in, I guess, segues us in here to what this podcast is about, which is we were going to touch on uh, field hunting. Um, you know, we field waterfowl hunting. So I know it's a it's a huge topic here, and we're going to go over a few things within this hour long podcast um, with James. But James, how does one even go about? Like, how do you even start? Like, if I want to go out tomorrow and start field hunting waterfowl, where do,
1: where would you even start? So I, I tell a lot of first-timers this, um, or not even first-timers, but generally you know, guys that are pretty new to it, find someone who does it. Learn from somebody. I personally, I didn't really have that option. I taught I'm, A lot of what I have was all self-taught. But if you know somebody or can find somebody that's been doing it for years that will take you out, go with them. Pick their brain. Talk to them. Go about it that way to begin with because it may not be something you like. Waterfall in itself, it's it's an expensive hobby. It is expensive. Just plain and simple. I mean, you know, you start talking field hunting honkers and you, you know, you're running, you know, even even a dozen honker decoys is a couple hundred bucks. So I, I say go out with somebody who has been doing it a little while that you can learn from to see if it's gonna be something that you're gonna enjoy and wanna do before you dive into it because you dive right into and go balls to the wall, You end, and you end up not liking it. You could be stuck with the $1,000 worth of gear that you're going to end up selling for half of what you paid for it.
0: I see. I probably see that more than I should, and I don't mean to laugh, but I, I do see that often that you get season ends. and I mean, if people come across hard times, that's obviously, you know, this isn't a, a bash session, but, uh, you know, I, I do see that where someone dives face first into a new, uh, a new type of hunting and they buy all the stuff and then they end up saying, well, I don't really like it. Or, um, you know, maybe this isn't for me or, you know, whatever the case may be. So I I think that's some sound advice there is to go out a little bit. I mean, that's what I did when I first started waterfowl, dude, I never even, you know, people are like, oh, the duck dynasty boom and all that. I never, I would watch that here and there, but I never got the hankering to be like, oh, I'm going out waterfowl hunting, Um, I don't know why I just never, never did. And um, uh, I actually, when I was in service, I, when I was an actual member, I had some guys that were near me and that's like all they did. They're like, oh dude, we don't even deer hunt for till like December. And you know, we waterfowl hunt and early teal and all this stuff. And I'm like, Hey, you mind if I tag along? I was like, I'd love to tag along and just see if it's something I'd like. I actually went on two or three hunts. Um, I actually went on two or three different hunts and um ended up loving it so i was like wow i love this now i didn't dive face first into it i did it gently you know i'll you know early teal hunt for a little bit in september and you know do some dove hunting and switch it up you know with upland bird and stuff but um you know that's that's if i would have just jumped in and spent all that money i might not have liked it <laughs> I been oh that's like, gear thing for half me.
1: It's like, like i i ended up getting into duck hunting because i filled all my deer tags one year and i was like all right what the hell am i gonna do now and i was like i you know by where i grew up there was a waterfall that, MWMUA that you could hunt and drove by one day there's a bunch of mallards out there and i literally just drove down to like Dick's sporting goods when actually when they actually sold hunting related stuff and i picked up a duck and a goose called combo from buck Gardner. bought my stamp bought my license for waterfowl and I bought a dozen G H T hot buys. I think they were thirty five dollars a dozen. And I went out the next morning in a canoe, and I shot my first couple birds. And since then, it it's been an absolute obsession. You know, I've had years here and there where deer hunting was kind of priority. And you know, you know, selling old stuff, selling new stuff. Just I've been, I've got gone out of gone out of waterfall for a year or two, just because you know the buddies didn't want to do it or. I just decided to go back to deer hunting, but I will say for like the past five, six years, it's been straight out waterfall. I, I do the same thing like you were saying to them guys, it's pretty much like November now. And I maybe deer hunt five days in a whole year.
0: Well, that's, that's pretty sound advice, man, for us to, to continue on with that. You know, I, you know, for you guys that are just tuning in here, um, or you didn't catch that. Um, you know, we kind of asked, hey, what's up, you know, how do you even get started? And James had said, go out there and, and, uh, and go out with people. Now, as far as like what you do, you were saying, uh, you go out to the field pretty early, you set up. So how does it kind of work? Does it does it work like, you know, a traditional waterfowl where, you know, the sun comes up, birds are flying
1: in kind of talked a little bit about that. So I guess like it really depends on one time of year, like I'll, I'll bring you to a particular hunt last year where a few days prior, we hunted it first thing in the morning. And we noticed that there was a bunch of goose tracks in the field. There's a little dusting of snow. And when we hunted that morning, we really didn't see many geese, but obviously they were feeding their hard. And we sat down by um, the big roost and about 10 o'clock, a massive just wave after wave of geese was coming into that particular field so a lot has to do with the scouting because you know if you don't scout you're not going to know what time these birds are showing up at so you know that particular one we hunted it noticed there's tracks we didn't scout it, it's a really good traffic field of mine and the next the day after that we hunt we got there at like eight o'clock hunted it till about 11 and absolutely hammered them so it really depends Some mornings you can get away with sleeping in, you know, it just depends on when they want to go out to feed. You know, if you're hunting tidal stuff, you know, like if you're in like, you know, like marsh ponds and stuff like that off the ocean and they're roosting there, tides can screw with you as well because on a low tide, first thing in the morning, they may stay right there and feed and they may not fly until later in the day to go out to feed or they may not go out to feed at all. So there's a lot of things to look at when it comes down to it, you know, what time they're leaving the roost, how far the roost is away. Because if you set up right by the roost within, I'd say sometimes within a half mile of the roost, you are you could be screwed. That first flock that comes in is going to be it because all them birds on the roost here you shoot and they're not going, going there anymore. I uh, Gotcha.
0: So, I mean, that's, that's actually a great little rabbit hole to go down to, uh, through here is, uh, scouting. So you, you talked about getting out there and obviously getting eyes on what's happening, but what are some things you look for with your, with your scouting and trying to find roost areas?
1: So, I don't really, I don't particularly pay attention to roost too much just because I, I personally don't hunt roost. I okay. like that. I like to keep the roost, you know, almost sacred, let them have that as their comfort spot so they can be comfortable and not be pressured on it. So, I me mean, personally, like, I'll look, for, I'll look for loaf ponds where they're going midday because, they, especially with big Canada's, you know, bigger graders. They get lazy, they'll feed, and they don't want to fly all the way back to the to the roost to sit midday. They'll find like a farm pond or something like that, and sometimes those are great hunts as well, because you may not be able to get permission on that bean or corn or wheat field that they're using, but you can get permission on the pond that they're going to the loaf on, and you can set up on that at 8 in the morning, because they're not coming back there until 9 or whatever to, to loaf. So, problem with scouting, I'll leave first thing in the morning and I'll start hitting fields. You know, I'll look at Onyx or whatever you guys use for scouting apps, even if it's Google Maps, Apple Maps, and I'll pin fields that maybe I haven't checked or fields I know that they use regularly. And I'll leave the house, you know, right around daybreak. Go get your coffee, whatever. And then you start driving around looking at these fields where they're going to be flying into and feeding. And then you start marking where birds are. And then maybe 8, 9 o'clock, go back, watch them. Watch the, the flock that you know you can get on, you can hunt, or the bigger flock, whatever it may be, and see where they fly back to. Kind of, you know, watch what direction they fly out of off that field and look and see what's there for a loaf. You know, if the big roost is within a mile, they could be going back to that. But if they're flying, sometimes these birds will fly multiple miles, 10 miles plus to go feed. And they, they don't want to fly back all the way to the roost. So you look for those loaf ponds there about midday. And then you can transition. If you want to do a whole day type thing, you know, you go, go get lunch, go back home. And then in the evening, go back and see what field they went to in the evening. Because sometimes they'll change up their feed and at night, and that's probably going to be the fielder on the next morning. So that's another I guess kind of thing to branch off on is most of the time where you find these birds at night is going to be the fielder on the next morning. Okay. Now, how
0: how early do you start like scouting for for season? I mean, are you out there right after turkey season? Or are you out there a couple weeks before?
1: I mean, I don't think the scouting like ever stops. Oh, honestly. Okay know turkey season it's it's cool because you get to see like the goslings and you kind of get to see what's what hatched and what the numbers are looking like but as far as like getting out scouting like trying to figure out what fields they're going to be using you know that opening day opening week whatever it is that scouting it doesn't start for me until probably the week before because er, because I guess that's, that's really generally for early season because you got to think August is a hot month. The goslings kind of just start flying just before August and they start moving, but it's hot. So, you know, it could be 70, 80 degrees at 637 in the morning. And these birds don't want to fly to go feed. They'll feed on water. So, you know, they'll stay on the lake on the roost pond because they don't, they don't want to fly in the heat. But as we start getting towards the tail end of August, temperatures drop. Like here, it last week it was pretty much 90s all week. But the tail end of this week, it starts dropping to like the overnights are in the 50s and the daytimes are in the 70s. So we're getting that cooler temperature. So you're going to start noticing birds are going out to fields more often. So it doesn't start for me until pretty much the last week because... But You burn a lot of fuel scouting, oh, a lot sure, of fuel. For sure,
0: yeah, for sure. I mean, so, traveling all those fields,
1: and they change up a lot. The birds' patterns change up a lot in August itself, anyways. Because I, I had a particular flock that I just drove by them pretty much every day, and every day in June they were in the same spot because that's where the goslings hatched, and then. Now they're sporadic at the beginning of August because they're flying. So they could be in field a one day and then the next, that evening they're in field B and then the next day they're at like field D, you know, they bounce around a lot. So it's not really patternable to be able to figure out where you need to hunt opening day. It's but generally, close. yeah, you can kind of figure out what fields they're using because they'll, they'll reuse those same fields. So you get to figure out what fields they're using, but really like that last week of August up to like opening day, that's really when the grind starts for me scouting, you know, I'll scout in the mornings and I'll scout in the evenings, but the most important scout to me is the one before opening day. That's the one that matters the most for opening day is the one right before your hunt.
0: So you'll probably be out there all day, the day before opener, huh?
1: I'm pretty much, I mean, we we have like historic fields, I guess, that we hunt pretty much every year that always have birds. But we always, I hunt like locally, I hunt and fun hunt with a good group of people. And we live in different areas of the state. So it really helps with being able to figure out where we're going to go because we're not all in one central location checking the same stuff. Right. But you know, we'll get a good game plan together and figure out what's going on because it may not be that feed of a hundred birds. It may be the feed of 50 birds, but it's got 25 bands in it.
0: Now, let me ask you, cause we kind of, we kind of jumped into this deep a little bit, but I'm just curious, especially as someone new into it, um, are you, wh- what exactly are you targeting as far as like field waterfowl? Is it just geese and, and snows or are there other things that'll come into the
1: fields or... I mean, we killed multiple ducks last year in a hayfield. So, I mean, I run, like, we'll run ducks in a a field, but it's mainly honkers and snows. The northeast is, it's weird as far as ducks and stuff. It's not like the Midwest where ducks just pile into fields by the thousands. Right. 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 That's what I was wondering, like what, like flyways and things? it, It definitely does happen where you can get a field that's covered up in mallards up here. But it's not like what you see in the Midwest and stuff. Now, so it's predominantly uh, geese and snows.
0: Okay. Now, do you? What's the regulations look like? Because you're—I know you hunt in New York and you're in New Hampshire. What What are you looking like as far as regulations and like conservation on these on these two types of birds? So uh, New
1: Hampshire and New York are two completely different things. So we'll start like New Hampshire. We get a five bird per person early season limit. And you have to have a plug in your gun, but when I go to New York, it's fifteen birds per person, and you don't have to have a plug.
0: Now, is this for and honkers then, or for snows?
1: That's that's uh, for honkers. honkers, and then snows. We don't really technically have a snow goose season in New Hampshire. You you can shoot. we don't have a conservation snow goose season in New Hampshire. You we have a season for them, but we don't. You we may see a hundred of them a year. Oh, okay, I got you. Yeah, it just we have the the mountains in between us and New York that kind of block out that flyway part for the snow geese. Yeah, they're just not going over that. Yeah, I mean we get we get them, but it's it's nothing, it's nothing crazy. I mean, we we see more in the springtime, obviously, than we do in the fall, but it's it's nothing. It's nothing crazy. So if people
0: are like driving by a field in New Hampshire, your phone's like blowing up if there's a field of snows out
1: there. <laughs> Pretty much. We had a, um, a guy here that I know. He shot a nice uh, adult blue goose last year here, you know, a blue snow. And that, that was crazy. You know, really, really absolutely full plume, great looking blue goose. Oh, man. So, I and mean, that was, that was on a field that had a few snow geese in it, mixed in with some honkers, you know, but here in New Hampshire, we're, we're honker grinding. I mean, we, we get ducks, but most of my group were hard into geese.
0: Now, a, another newbie question here, which some of these questions actually came from some of the team members, but I'm just going to shoot them out there. Um, as far as, I mean, do geese just stay up in that northern area or are they do they work their way south for the
1: winter like a lot of waterfowl? Oh, they definitely work their way south. We um uh, we do have a good holdover like uh, resident goose population just because we do have the rivers that stay open year-round. And we also have certain areas where people feed them year-round, which I'm not a huge fan of because there's – couple hundred bands that sit down there every year that don't ever leave but we do have a good holdover just because we do keep that open water for them and there is vegetation so a lot of new hampshire like we don't deal with a lot of rocky waterways it's there's a lot of vegetation in the water itself which is another reason you know we may not experience a whole lot of docks going to fields is because there's so much vegetation for them in the water so we get that holdover of residents but a lot of birds do push south i mean we get migrators through here all the time that push down from like you know northern maine vermont sometimes new york but they'll make their way down to the chesapeake you know sometimes virginia the carolinas
0: nice i don't think they come as far as florida it's rare that i see a goose down here
1: Yeah, I don't know in all my years that I've gone down to Florida, I don't think I've ever seen a honker down there. I've
0: seen, I've seen, I think I've seen one or two, well like, you know, small flocks of them, I'm trying to think where I actually was at, I was actually in northern Florida, and I was fishing at a lake, I think it was, it's like Lake George or one of those one of those bass lakes up there in northern Florida, one of those Harris Chains lakes or whatever. And I did see some, but they were flying by. And I was like, oh, wow, it's been a long time since I've seen them. I know in Virginia, you see them everywhere you go. I was in New Jersey fishing, and they were all over the place sitting on nest uh, this past yeah, yeah. spring. Yeah, there's a couple of them. Yeah, it was all – I actually walked up on some that were on their nest. You know, I'd go over a fallen tree and almost get attacked.
1: Oh, yeah. They're really aggressive when it comes to their nests. Oh, yeah. I learned that the hard way and
0: had to take off running. But um, awesome, man. So let's see here. Something else I wanted to ask you here is let's talk about a little bit about uh like decoys. I guess just I mean, this is kind of like a basic podcast that I wanted to do on field waterfowl hunting. But when you're out there in the field, um, you know, are you just looking to have a, a large amount of numbers to attract in? the geese um or is there do you have like a strategy to it so
1: I, I mean it really depends on if we're doing a feed hunt or a traffic hunt it's like when you're on a feed where you know and that's where geese you scout on the night before and they were in that field or the morning before and they were in that field that are going back to it because i know the on geese those per- there yeah okay. those particular hunts you don't need a giant decoy spread you, you know you you could run three dozen decoys you could run five dozen silhouettes and be fine it's because the birds are already going there so they they're used to the birds being there you don't need this huge humongous spread another thing to break down with feed hunting is one thing to remember is your first flock going into a feed is always going to be your most weary flock because they're used to being the first ones in the field so those might be the hardest ones for that day to decoy because they're so used to being The first one's there. And then you run down into like traffic hunting where it, it may not be a feed. So the theory is if a goose flies over a field, you can kill it in that field. So with traffic, you're running a bigger decoy spread to make it look like that's where the party's happening. You know, so you may be dumping out a trailer, you may be running 15, 20, 25, 30 dozen silhouettes. With five six seven eight nine ten dozen full bodies mixed in and you're calling heavy you're flagging heavy you're calling hard out and you're flagging them hard and you're trying to pull those birds down into that field now and that's those are,
0: oh i'm sorry go ahead oh, go ahead Justin. oh i was just saying well that actually is is something great and you can continue with your thought there i didn't mean to cut you off um the uh with calling let's let's talk about that what are you what kind of calling are we doing here
1: So, like, on a feed, I mean, on a feed, you may just hit them with a few soft honks, a few clucks, maybe some feeding murmurs. And just, you know, making it sound like a happy group of geese walking around feeding in a field just to give them them a little something. Because you don't have to call hard at geese when they're going into a field. And I think that's a lot of mistakes people make is they just start hammering on these birds when you're on the X. Like, they already want to be there. So, like, don't overdo it. But on traffic, it, pretty much my theory is on it, if I got a guy in the blind with me that can make some sort of sound like a goose, I'm giving him a goose call so we can blow on it. Because you're trying to make it sound like there's freaking 400 geese, 500 geese, 1,000 geese in this field, just so it's drawing their attention down to it. You know, so you're honking, you're clucking, you're doing everything you can make just to get these geese down in that field on a traffic hunt.
0: Now, are you using? Are you, what kind of calls are you using here? As far as are you using wood or are you using
1: plastic? So oak? I run acrylic. I have an acrylic in a Delrin series. So you know, pretty they're you know both essentially plastic. I'm not a huge fan of wood. Um, it's just my personal thing. There's nothing wrong with wood calls i've owned a few they're just not my thing i do a lot of traffic hunting so a lot of my calls are they hit that high range notes so that's why i run i I run lesser calls just because i can run them faster and i can be louder on them and that read breaks over so much quicker
0: now you mentioned flagging what what is
1: flagging so that's pretty much, uh, I'm trying to explain it kind of in layman's terms, I guess. Um, it's pretty much a black cutout that kind of looks like a goose with its wings out. You know, it, and it's a flag and you kind of just flap it. And it makes it like the wing motions of it, oh, which you. a lot of it, I don't, I don't know if it is the wing motion of the flag that attracts them down or if it's just the fact of something being there and then it's gone, like geese landing. But that is probably one of your best tools when running traffic is a flag.
0: Nice, nice. I was just writing that down here because I definitely want to put that in the show notes. So we talked a little bit about calling. We've talked about flagging. We've talked about some decoys. Um, you know, kind of where to begin. If someone, let's just say you you love it. You know, I go out. Uh, I love it. You know, we kill some geese. We're out in the field, me and some friends. You know, we call a little bit. We've got, you know, a dozen decoys or so. We have a good time. And we want to kind of get hard into it. It sounds like scouting is, is king. You know, get out there. Know where your birds are at. Uh, even if, you know, they are there. They might not be there tomorrow. So definitely try to, to pattern the best you can, it sounds like. Um, and then also it doesn't really sound like you're too, I guess, loyal probably wouldn't be the word, but is there anything like you, like you have to have, like where you're like, you know, every year I have to have this to get through my season. Um, I guess my question, a more uh, specific question with this would be, um, if someone is getting into, to field waterfowl hunting, what are, what are some must haves that they should have uh, to get out there, whether it be them in a small group or, you know, a few friends?
1: So your biggest one like must have, and I guess it's not something that you can particularly purchase, but is a good hide. The number one thing with field hunting is your hide. You can have the best decoy spread out there on the market that money could buy. You could go and grab a bunch of DSDs, but if your hide sucks, if your layout isn't hid good, if your A-frame isn't hid good, you may not have a successful hunt just on that itself. So, number one, I would say the, mu- the biggest must-have is a good hide. That yeah, and that's, pro- that's like the biggest thing, I think, across any waterfowl. Maybe not as much sea ducks or divers, but like puddle ducks and honkers and snows is a hide. Your hide's number one. And you want your layout and stuff to be comfortable as well. So, like your A-frames. Like I just purchased an A-frame because it was cheap, and I immediately sold it because I just didn't think it was going to meet my needs as far as size and for clients as well. So you want something that's comfortable. You obviously don't want something that's big bulky as far as the layout goes. That's just going to stick out. If you're with a group of people and you got this big deluxe, like you can put a mini fridge in a type eight uh, layout blind that just sticks out in a field because some fields we hunt are bare; They're dirt and that just creates a hump in the middle of it.
0: And they probably get used to that, right? I mean, just like a deer would with like a blind or something. If they're not seeing that big lump there, they'll probably get a little weary.
1: Yeah, though, that's exactly what it is, is, you know, it's something they're not used to having they're seeing in that field. Because You got to think, you know, especially on a feed or even pressured birds, it's something they're not used to seeing or they've seen it before. And now they are going, all right, I know what happened last time I was by that. Because people want to say, you know, these things have pea-sized brains and they're stupid. But they figure stuff out after years. And, you know, you got to remember an animal's number one instinct is to survive.
0: Yeah, you don't need a big brain to survive.
1: (laughs) Exactly. So I would say number one thing you want to have is a good hide. And then whatever you're hunting out of, have it be comfortable. Because there's no sense in being miserable out there and being uncomfortable. And then, God, uh, you want to break down, go even further, clothing. I mean, that has a lot to do with, it. you know, I'm hunting September. We may be out there in short some days, but I'm going to run, in, run into January as well. So I want to be in my bibs and my boots and everything. So clothing's big. Think about, you know, if you're going to be out there six, seven, eight hours, and, you, you know, you're not particularly walking around through a field like you would deer hunt through the woods, you want boots and stuff that are going to keep you warm. Bibs that are going to keep you warm.
0: Yeah, for sure, man. That's that's legit right there. So we've got uh, we've got a hide. You got clothing. Now, as far as gear and decoys, you said you know all depends on the situation, but you're going to want at least a few dozen of it, of your uh, decoys.
1: I mean, it it really depends. I mean, if you're starting out on it, well, buy a dozen. And then start off there and then see what happens. You know, if, if you can go run feeds, you can hunt feeds with a dozen decoys. You know, I, I like hunting with more, but if you're starting out, and you, you don't want to go out and buy 10 dozen full bodies. Right, right. Yeah. Start off with a dozen. Go, bu- go budget friendly. You know, you don't have to go buy DSDs. You can go buy something that's cheaper. You know, Bigfoot B2s, anything like that, it's cheaper just to see if you like it so you're not investing all this money.
0: Nice. Nice. That's legit, man. That's, that's great advice. And that's one thing I was trying to do with this podcast is I just, you know, I don't hear a lot about it and and if maybe others do, I don't know. I don't see much about it, but um, you know, when it comes to waterfowl podcasts, I think that we go so deep into specific topics, which is great. That's, you know, hopefully if anyone has any questions, we'll doubt, we'll get James back on and do some more specific topics, but I always like to kind of do that, that beginner, Because, I mean, think about how many people right now, I mean, as much as we can say, like, well, we don't want a ton more people out there scouting in our fields. But at the end of the day, you know, I'd rather someone learn the right way, especially myself. I'd rather learn the right way from someone. Um, That way I I don't kind of step on people's toes with things, I guess would be the best way to say it. Um, So I'd rather learn the right way than just go out there on my own and just, you know, figure it out, which that's what you're going to do anyways when you're going out, but... It's at least nice, which I'd actually have a question about that. Is there, you know, we have kind of not stigmas, but we kind of have like um, unwritten rules when it comes to uh, different types of hunting. Um, You know, like me and every time I do a hunt link, we always have an unwritten rule of like I won't drop a pin where we're at, especially if I'm hunting public land. Um, I probably will never go there again, unless I'm with the person that took me there. It's kind of an unwritten rule. Are there any like unwritten rules when it comes to, to honkers and and snows?
1: I mean, pretty, that one, if, you know, if someone takes you somewhere, don't go back there. I mean, that, that's one of the big ones. I think that's hunting just across the board. I think that, you know, that, that's not specific to any sort of thing. If I take you somewhere, don't go back there.
0: (laughs) Yeah, not without me anyways.
1: But, I mean, the big wonder I think for us waterfowlers is shooting up the roost. We deal with it every year where, you know, you, you scout this field and someone goes and shoots the roost and all of a sudden you've got 100 birds coming at once. But when you scouted it, they were trickling in, you know, onesies, twosies, five at a time. And now all of a sudden there's 100 birds coming to that field at once because someone went up and shot the roost. And that, you know, that relays back to like kind of what I was saying earlier with that roost leave it as a sanctuary leave it as a safe space for them because they'll continue to use it find where they're going after that because they'll go right back to that roost but you go and shoot a roost you spook all of them off of it they don't feel safe there anymore now you end up trying to find them somewhere else because they switch up roosts on you
0: i like that man you know i i feel like that's not said enough either it's like under rules now just like we can always say well you know, public land is this and anyone can hunt how they want. Yeah, sure. This, this podcast isn't saying you need to hunt a specific way, but you know, these are things that, especially as someone that doesn't come from a waterfowl background and someone who doesn't do a lot of waterfowl hunting or research it a lot, you know, that was something I didn't, I didn't know. I had no clue. Um, now obviously I'm sure it relates to like turkeys. Like I would never shoot a turkey off the roost. It's actually legal in some States. Um, and I don't honestly, man, I'm not, I don't judge either way, whether someone does or not, but it's nice to hear kind of the reason why you shouldn't do that is, you know, wh- wouldn't you rather have them trickle in as opposed to a hundred at once? You can only shoot so much, especially if you got a plug in your
1: gun. Well, no, the, the and the thing too, with the roost is, you know, you go shoot at a hundred birds on the roost and you may only kill two of them. Right. Yeah. And then they're you know, gone. Versus, versus you go hunt that field where all hundred of them are going to but, the, you know, there's a hundred coming stretched over an hour time period. And instead of shooting two off a roost, now you're shooting 15, 20, 30. Sounds in like a, a field. lot better and,
0: experience, too.
1: Yeah, your numbers go up. And I personally, you know, and this is me. I mean, it's hunting. If it's, if it's legal to do it, by all means, go do it. I'm not going to tell you you shouldn't do it if it's legal. But personally, I don't see the enjoyment of paddling up to a goose because you can only get so far from so half these guys you know they're probably shooting at them at 40 50 yards crippling them and that's just not fun to me versus having that flock come and you're calling at them you're flagging them you're trying to work them down you're trying to fool them essentially you know fool them thinking that you're a live goose calling to them and these plastic things we have out in the fields or the cardboard cutouts are live animals to me that's like the ultimate Thing of just fooling a wild animal, right?
0: Yeah, no, for sure, man. A lot of us are in that in that game, and like you mentioned, you know, you you brought it up. You know, this isn't no one sitting here telling people how to hunt or anything like that. But I mean, it definitely sounds like everyone wins in that scenario, and the animal wins, um, which that's what we all want. If if you don't want that, and you're a hunter, um, you know, you're definitely not probably the type of person. Even though you know, Side's all about uniting hunters of all types. Um, you know, we want to make sure we, to me that, that falls into a, you know, a little bit of an ethics, it could fall into an ethics category of, of, uh, you know, wounding something. You know, I think that, that goes into bow, which is a completely different topic, but I tell people all the time, I'm like, if you're a bow hunter, you should shoot your bow all the time, whether you're good or not, just for the simple fact of, you don't want to wound an animal. What if he jumps or, you know, we can all say, well, an accident happens, which it, it does sometimes, but if you can limit those accidents and you can try to be as efficient as you can, everyone wins. Conservation wins, animal wins. Well, I mean, you're going to kill the animal. So really is it winning, but it's not going to suffer. So to me, that's yeah. a win. Uh, I mean, you know, it and you're having down, a good time.
1: It breaks down to that same thing with the waterfall though, patterning your gun, make sure you have the right load, choke combo to your gun that you're getting the most effective pattern that you're not going to be clipping birds in, Breaking a wing and they sail off and they're still alive, you know, a mile down the road in someone's pond. I actually just uh, seen a video on TikTok. This guy's in freaking, I think he's in like Arkansas. He has a pond on his farm and there's two snow geese still in it and they were wounds from conservation season and they can't fly or anything. They just walk, swim around the pond and walk up into his field. You know, so you look at stuff like that where now this bird can't fly because it's crippled, but it's still living, but it, it's suffering at the same point. You know, so padding your guns, you know, going out shooting clays like we just did a pigeon pigeon hunt over the weekend just to shoot the guns and get get some time shooting some wings. You know, it's stuff like that just to figure out and get back into the swing of things before opening day. Yeah. It's, it's the same thing as shooting your bow. Get those reps in. You know, make sure your guns good. Make sure your ammo's good. You know, right. you go buy a new gun. Make sure you got got the right pattern. You know, for what you're shooting. You know, if you got a shitty pattern at twenty yards, you know, maybe change up your choke, change out your round, so you have a more effective pattern, so you can uh, ethically put that animal down, so it doesn't suffer. Yeah, for sure,
0: man. You want to make sure that you're you're always taking an animal uh, legally and ethically, but you, you never want to wound anything. So um, that's definitely some sound advice there. Now, let me ask you, I mean, this could be a, probably a whole podcast episode in itself, but let's just talk basics here real quick. We're going about 45 minutes, um, so kind of the last topic I wanted to touch on. What are you What are you personally shooting? And when we ask this question, that doesn't mean everyone go out tomorrow and buy the same gun James has, the same ammo, the same choke. Just out of curiosity, what do you recommend for a beginner, someone that's getting out there? Obviously, we all have to test the gear to see if it fits for you. Uh, but just someone getting out, just a little bit of basic info on, on what they probably should roughly be shooting.
1: So, I mean, I started off with the Mossberg 500. You know, it's, uh, it's the basic Mossberg. You know, it's the same thing as far as like an 870 goes. So, if you're just starting out, you don't need to go out and buy an SX4 from Winchester. You don't gonna you don't, don't need to go buy a Beretta or a brand new Benelli. If you're just starting out, take, you know, whatever shotgun you maybe hunt turkey with. You know, 26, 28-inch long barrel. Go try out with that. You know, check it out with the choke. See what happens. I've shot a lot of different guns over the years. And my favorite, in all honesty, is my, I have a Pump Benelli Nova. And... It's one of my favorite guns. It's smooth. I dropped it in the sand, dropped it in the sand last year on a beach hunt early season and was still sending rounds through it. You know, it's a great gun and it's on an, it's on an expensive one. You know, I think some of the guns I have that I can let clients use are actually more cost me more money than that one cost me.
0: Now, is that a 20
1: gauge or? Yeah, I I shoot a 20 gauge. I'm a firm believer in the 20 gauge. It took me a while to switch over. But with the new ammo, the bismuth, it's it's just as effective as the 12-gauge.
0: I've gotten into the 20-gauge myself with turkey hunting. And, you know, it took me a little bit to work into it because I missed a few birds and stuff. But once you really get it dialed in and you, I guess, have that uh, confidence in your equipment and you get to know it. You know, like me and you were talking before we even started this podcast, we were talking about uh, waterfowl calls, about which ones, you know, when people ask, you know, which ones do you recommend? We talked about, you got to get out there. You got to spend some money. You got to see what works for you. Cause everyone's different. You know, what works for you in new, new, uh, New Hampshire might not work for me down here in Florida, you know? So, oh, exactly. And it's,
1: it's goes to the same thing with guns. Like I can't shoot an eight seventy just because I think I think the neck or something on them shorter. So like every time I shoot, it just absolutely smashes my middle finger because it's right behind the trigger guard. Hmm. And it just smashes it. So, you know, it's just not a comfortable gun for me to shoot. But I got buddies that love their 870s.
0: Now, what are you, you know? looking at as far as uh, ammo?
1: Um, So I, I try, I've tried a few different things. Personally, I'm shooting Migra this year. It patterned pretty well for me when I put it on paper. It's my first year shooting it. I'm shooting a two and four blend. I normally stay true to number twos just because they can knock down those late season geese when they are all fatted up and they have, they're full of feathers, but you know, they're also going to knock down mallards and divers. But I mean, it, it also breaks, like I said, back, back onto your gun, where I know the REM hypersonic patterns really good out of my gun. You know, despite what people say about it, blowing up barrels and stuff, I put 75 rounds out of that gun on a snow goose hunt last year on, I think it was like two and a half, three days with absolutely no issues so you want to go out get your gun pattern it with your factory chokes you don't like the pattern maybe try a different different round or maybe try a different choke like i shoot a kicks high flyer for snows and i shoot my factory benelli choke uh modified most of the time for honkers early season
0: nice dude that's some that i feel like we've covered a little bit of basics there and for anyone that's listening, we're gonna we're we're coming to the end of this podcast for now. We actually have a waterfowl uh, webinar that we have tonight also at 7. Um, but I want to extend an invite anyone that listens to this podcast if there was anything that you want us to get James back on the mic for, um, you know, we kind of went over some basics, do a lot at you in an hour, but you know, we say this about most hunting topics, you know, we will always come back and do parts two, three, four, etc. Um, it's not something you can ever touch on in an hour. It doesn't matter if you're talking squirrel hunting, waterfowl hunting, deer hunting. Um, there's always uh, different uh, routes you can go down in, in different ways. But uh, James, what if you could leave a piece of advice for our listeners, everything they've heard here on the podcast today, um, just kind of a little bit like I guess it would be like a cliff note or a takeaway, what would it
1: be? Learn. I guess that's the biggest thing. Like I, I told you before we got on the podcast, Justin, I'm going on 13 years in this and I'm constantly learning. You know, Sean just did, uh, just did like, a little question thing the other day in Servicide. And I hit like, it was, uh, what was it?
0: Oh, that trivia a
1: question. Yeah. The cavity nesting ducks. And I hit like every one besides one of
0: them. of a cavity nesting duck. That was a first Yeah. Word. I mean, and,
1: you know, it's wood ducks. It's just the birds that will nest in a tree or a cavity Right. What something. is that? That's, that's what? Wood ducks, teal. Uh, it's wood ducks, borrows, golden eye, common golden eyes, common mergansers. Um, hooded mergansers, red breasted mergansers, um, and the Muscovy duck. Mm -hmm. If I, I think that is all seven of them. I think that is that. And I didn't know the Muscovy duck. I I've seen it on a farm before, but I didn't know it was an actual thing. You know, like I said, 13 years into it. So there's always something to learn. So you're never going to know it all. I mean, I'm every night. I'm I'm doing research every night, trying to figure stuff out. So it's just learn as much as you can. Don't be afraid to ask those questions to someone that may have more experience, even if it's a year or two. It's more experience. Maybe they're a slightly better caller than you. Ask them. You know, hey man, like how how did you make that note? Like how can I do that? You know, just ask the questions. Learn. Break out the books. You know, a lot of the shit people do now is all on the internet but there's a lot of good information. Go down to the library and pull out an old waterfowl book. Just uh, even like identification type stuff. There's always something to learn. Don't be afraid to hit the books, hit the web.
0: Dude, that's, I'm glad you actually brought that up. I actually, I'm from Western Virginia. Um, did a lot of mountain hunting, would hunt mature bucks, bear, you name it. I hunted (laughs) it except waterfowl. And, uh, I consider myself a pretty good hunter, you know. I grew up hunting. I was always in the woods, skipping school, all that stuff, and uh, ended up coming down to Florida, thinking I was knew what I was doing. And my first two years here, I didn't even see a deer unless it was less than a hundred or more than a hundred yards away. And I'm like, what am I doing wrong? Like, I literally am doing everything I did up north. So I literally had to break down and say, okay, you know, let's put the ego aside. Let's let's figure this out you can you know people kill deer here all the time you know people are successful hunters here all the time you know what what can you do besides put out a bag of corn and um it literally came down to going to local libraries and looking at old books i actually ordered some old books on amazon um about specific florida hunting and most of those books were written in the 70s and 80s that i was looking at and i tell you what i took a little bit from each one Tried to apply it. Some things would work. Some things wouldn't. Ended up killing a deer that year after I did that research. And I just don't think that's a coincidence. I don't think it was luck. I think it just boiled down to taking as much information as I could, trying to apply it the right way for my situation, and, and you know, ended up coming out successful. So i definitely glad that you mentioned that of get yeah. out there and, you know, do a little research. You don't have to Google. When we say research, it doesn't mean you have to Google it. You know go, hey, go you to can't a library. find everything
1: on Google go to you a can't library. Find everything there.
0: Shoot go to Amazon type in I mean you you can go to Amazon type in waterfowl hunting see what comes up that's what I did and I was like well, I don't want nothing new age I want something 70s 80s 90s and there was. Yeah, yeah
1: sometimes the old the old school stuff is what works man
0: I mean, hey, I looked at it like this. I was trying new school stuff, and it wasn't. So I was like, let's go back to the old school and see what's happening. And, and dang if it didn't work. And it, it actually came down to something so basic, which was uh, transition points. So from yep. swamp to to oak flats. And, and, yeah, you would think that that's the case, but I was more worried about feeding areas and bedding areas. And it literally came down to just being in transition areas and just keep narrowing it down until finally – you know, I was able to, to connect. So i um, really glad you brought that up, man. Now, yeah. now let's go ahead. And um, I don't, if I missed anything, definitely bring it up, but tell everyone where they can reach you. Um, you know, throw a plug in for your, for your company there. I, I think you're probably fully booked, but if you're not um, be my guest, man, and, and go ahead and, and tell the guys where they can reach you.
1: All right, guys. So I'm on Facebook. You can type in your search bar. It's unplugged waterfall guide service a picture of my dog as the uh, picture um i do have some availability i have a few dates in october late october i have some dates in late november and i have a few dates in december and i might be opening up a few dates in january but stay tuned on that one we're going to be getting into some diver duck hunting uh fall snows puddle ducks honkers And don't let the New York one bird limit scare you away. I have birds in the five, I have fields in the five bird zones in New York. So you can shoot five honkers in those particular zones. And I have property there so we can get out and go kill five honkers per person. And you can give me a call. My number is 315 819 9320. You can text that number, call it. You want to find me on Facebook, look up James Simons. always shoot me a message. I'm never going to tell anybody that I'm not going to answer a question. You guys got a waterfall or just a general question about hunting, shoot me a message, give me a call. I'll help you out the best I can.
0: You know, I, you know, hopefully I, you know, I haven't been in the industry long enough that hopefully I can say this, but, um, you know, before we jumped on this podcast, James had said, you know, the difference between him and a lot of other people are, you know, when his phone rings, he's answering it, even if it's, you know, just because you never know, like you not, might not be able to reach that person again. You know, so yeah, I could be, I could literally like be, that. that's good ethics. Good. Work yeah. It ethics. happened
1: to me the other day. I was literally in the middle of my regular work stuff, you know, on in the off season a lot. I I'm an HVAC guy. And I was in the middle of plumbing something. My phone rang and immediately answered it and it was a client i ended up booking that hunt because you never know you know that i could have hopped off and go found someone else and you know i, I try to be there for you guys because what may, may be convenient for me may not be convenient for you
0: well that's great man and i think that's definitely going to get you far and it already you know it already has you got a pretty full book and it sounds like you're gonna have a great season i'm a super excited i'm actually going up in December with you, I got to book my plane ticket for that, which we'll get to have a little one-on-one time there, um, and then also coming up in March, so you get to see my my pretty face twice.
1: Oh yeah, and then hey, that part two for this podcast, we can always do that live in field one in March. Give oh, something yeah. to give something to people that don't think they've ever seen. I don't know if I've ever heard of a live infield during hunt podcast
0: no i i don't i i haven't seen one either and i have heard people talk about it and i have done things where like after we've hunted we've done something but i definitely think that that's something we're gonna do and there's two or three of us that actually have the pod the mobile podcast so we're gonna try to do it and if we can you know if we have to splice them together or whatever but that's something we're going to do. And I've actually oh. been thinking about different scenarios of that. Once we get a better idea where you're like, hey, you know, they should be roughly coming at this time, we'll just hit, hit play. It'll be like being in the dugout. You'll be able to hear what's going on. And I, I think that's going to be awesome. You know, yeah, we might have chat. to
1: cut and splice and edit on that one. I think Sean said he's got his cameras coming up and everything so this is this is gonna be a whole plug thing for service that's gonna be pretty awesome
0: grant grant's got some stuff i'm gonna be getting a few of those six new 6.0 cameras we actually have a webinar with them next week they're gonna be giving us a freaking killer deal i actually wasn't looking to buy any more hunting stuff this year but you know this deal is actually not going to be offered anywhere else so i was like well i'll go ahead and get one because you know who doesn't need a good action camera on their weapon um, especially if you know, with the way things have changed and they've gotten rid of a lot of that shaky stuff, so I'm um, excited to see if it can hold up to the temperatures. But we'll definitely be putting it to the test on them hunts for sure.
1: Oh uh, yeah, dude! Like I told you, coming from Florida expect like you're going to be bundled up like the michelin man first thing in the morning and then you're probably down in a t-shirt come noon oh yeah
0: man i i go to i went to ohio last year and that's what happened i was literally like sweating and i'm like oh my gosh they're gonna you know we were worried about wind and all this stuff and then ended up the last day it snowed the last two days it snowed and was that wet rainy snow so it was it was definitely two extremes. I was like, "That's that's exactly how it's gonna be when I go to New York, both times oh, yeah. too. <laughs> both <laughs> times, we'll get that crazy, uh, crazy warm spout. But I'll be I'll be ready for it, man. I've definitely got the the gear and I'll I'll layer up. But I'll probably be freezing. I'm a I'm a twenty hand warmers in my clothing kind of guy.
1: Hey, if we're in the A frames, I'll have heaters going. So. <laughs>
0: Nice. Well, James, I appreciate you jumping on, man. We'll pop off here and we will definitely do a part two. And if you guys have any topics that you want us to touch on for next time, definitely let us know. You can always reach me at Justin at service dot com. Really, any of the service side uh, platforms, you will be able to reach me or somebody there. Uh, but thanks, man. We appreciate it. And we'll get you on again soon.
1: Yeah, man. Anytime. I always enjoy being on and talking with you guys. Awesome, man. Well, you guys
0: are listening to White Tilt Theory's podcast.